0: it's good to be home. Yes. We've been in Houston for four years, four years, and it's been awesome. We we're seeing a lot of awesome things. We started a church there a year and a half ago, and um, everything that's going on in Houston, every life that we're able to touch down there is because this church exists, and we, it's just an awesome, awesome awesome place. And we started here, we lived in, I, I got out of the army in 2010, and we had started coming here January 3rd, 2010. Long time ago. And uh, I, I, I was a very different person then. I, I was going through a lot. I was going through post-traumatic stress, alcohol problems, anger issues, all these different things. And uh, we, we uh, my wife got pregnant with our daughter, and the only thing I knew about Church is good. People go to church, so our daughter's going to be a good person. Let's go find a church. It wasn't like a big spiritual thing. It was just good people go to church, and so we uh, we Googled churches in Pueblo and and ended up here. And I sat right there where Mr. Tony's sitting. Can you feel the anointing on that chair? I thought so, uh, but it was, it's a, uh, I, I was joking about it in first service, too. It's like, I'm surprised they haven't dipped that chair in bronze yet. I'm kind of offended, actually. Roped it off or something. I don't know, but that's arrogant. I was just joking. Y'all, y'all don't know me. All right, so uh, that's, that's uh, so we, we came here, and Pastor Mike got up, and he talked about God in a way that I'd never heard someone talk about God. He talked about God in a way that, that made him seem like a person, a person that I could talk to and have a relationship with. And I don't know what I thought about God before that moment, but something changed whenever he started talking about it. And he, it wasn't like this grand revelation or anything. I still remember that first service. It, it wasn't anything crazy, but just the, the way he talked about God, like a, this personal relationship, it changed my life. And, and it, then I started to open this book, Outside of Sunday morning, anyone else do that? (laughs) So I started to do that. I started to get excited. I started to learn the true nature of God. I started to learn my identity in Christ. And things started to rise up on the inside of me that I had no idea was there. It was awesome. And I was sitting right there one day and I was I was listening to Pastor Mike talk and this picture rose up on the inside of me and I saw myself speaking in front of large groups of people. And if you knew me then, that was impossible. I was an introvert. I was I was so shy. I couldn't talk to two people, let alone two hundred or, or Thousands or, or whatever it might be. And, and I couldn't do that. That was an impossible picture on the inside of me. But as I began to renew my mind to how God sees me, that picture started to become a reality. And that, it's just the Lord has done so many amazing things. And it all started because of Rocky Mountain Family Church. This is an awesome church. Y'all should be, y'all should be thankful for, for this. I, I think we can sometimes show up and just this is, we check that church box off. Went to church this week. I feel good. Good people go to church. This church will transform your life. The message that they share here, the revelation that Pastor Mike has, is you don't get that everywhere. I don't know if you realize what you have at this church, but it is awesome. Pastor Mike's one of my best friends. We talk a lot. And it's just, um, I'm going to start crying. But men don't cry, so I'm going to move on. Uh. (laughs) But anyway, I, I just because of that, the Lord has been able to do stuff in our life. And I'm just so thankful. And, and uh, the Lord shared or shared something with me that I want to share with you this morning. But one thing that I really want to stress is we, we have these wrong views of who God is. And these wrong views hold us back from really experiencing what God has for us. There's a purpose. I read this on on Rocky Mountain Family Church's Facebook page the other day. Pastor Mike said this a couple weeks ago that you aren't born to find your purpose. You're born with your purpose already on the inside of you. So our job is to renew our minds to the truth and then we release that thing. We release the purpose. We start to experience it. We start to walk it out. But it all starts through renewing of our mind. But I believe there's one thing that holds us back from really experiencing that truth in our life. And that one thing is religion. Religion. And people get confused. I don't think this church gets confused by it, but I like to just kind of summarize what I mean by that. Because people, when they hear religion, you say, are you religious? And they say, yeah, I'm religious. I go to church. Yeah, I'm religious. I believe in God. But that's not what I'm talking about when I'm talking about religion. If you actually look at the Latin word for religion, it's religari, and I promise you that's not how you pronounce it. Okay, so <laughs> I promise, but but it, that's not important. The important part is what it means, and it, it's it's split up into two pieces. The first part means to bring back, and the second part means into bondage. So the word in Latin for religion literally means to bring back into bondage. And so by not believing right, by thinking God is behind your pain, God is behind your storms, God's trying to teach you something, and you're worthless because of everything you've done wrong, and God can't use you because you're just the stench in the nostrils of God you're never going to experience it. You're going to end up, you're going to stay bound up. You're never going to experience what God has placed on the inside of you since before the foundations of the world. You're all called to something. We're all called to something. And the thing that we're all called to is greater than you could ever imagine. What I'm doing today is greater than I could ever imagine. I, I don't deserve what's happened in my life, but thank God for Jesus. Thank God for Jesus, because if it wasn't for an understanding of God's love for me, I wouldn't be able to do what I do. I'd still be sitting right there. And I never would have, never would have gotten up and accomplished something. I've never, I would, never would have gotten up and been able to impact the lives that I've had the opportunity to do. But again, it's not because I'm so awesome. It's because he's so awesome. And I've listened and I've learned, what is God saying about me? What is God saying about me? It doesn't matter how I feel about myself because the way I feel about myself isn't very good. That's something I have to battle. I have to fight this low self-esteem. I have to fight that, that I am worthy. Jesus made me worthy. I can step out. Jesus has equipped me to fulfill everything that God has placed on the inside of me. So now it's my job to understand that and learn that as I renew my mind to the truth, I can tar- start taking the steps in that direction. So as I was sitting there and that picture came up on the inside of me, I knew I had to do something. I knew that was a God thing. That, I wouldn't have come up with that one. I wouldn't, I wouldn't get up here and start talking to a bunch of people. Pastor Mike used to stand up here, and we, we started to connect on more of a personal level. We'd hang out, and I'd just be sitting there, and he'd, he'd say, yeah, I was talking to Clint the other day, and blah, blah. He didn't ask me to stand up. He didn't ask me to do anything. He just said my name, and the ears were, whoa, 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 and the sweat, and the handprints, sweat handprints on my legs, and it. Was, I was just, oh, no, and I was just, it wasn't even that I couldn't get up in front of people and talk. I couldn't have someone else get up in front of people and talk about me. That's pretty bad. That's pretty, I couldn't look people in the eyes. I couldn't do anything. I was just, I was so self-conscious, self-absorbed, uh, really. It was just pride. I cared what everyone else thought, and I wasn't listening to what God said. But then that picture rose up on the inside of me, and I knew that something had to change, and I knew that uh, I, I, I had to... Do something to ensure that that purpose comes to pla- to pass. It's not going to happen on its own. We have to live life on purpose. We have to live an intentional life. We have to step into that area. We renew our mind. But as we renew our mind, it causes us to move. Two thirds of God's name is go, right? G O. Some people get upset. They're like, "That's not even His real name. That's blah blah." Just it's a joke. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Just calm down. Uh, so I, I, I knew me. I knew me. And if I didn't commit to showing up, it would, I'd do it for a while, but then I'd stop showing up. So I, I started to volunteer around here. And I volunteered to greet because I knew that I needed to learn how to talk to people. <laughs> and I, I tell people I was probably the worst greeter in the history of all greeters. Just like, Hi. Hi, how are you? And I, I just get out of here. Go sit down. And, um, and I, I would, I'd volunteer around here. I would do stuff. I'd help out. I would commit myself just to show up. And, and as I did that, I gained confidence, and I got to, to do more things. I even volunteered for the worship team. I try to block that part of my life out of my memory. But I played bass right here, and I thought, you know, because everyone stares at the bass player. When they're on there, So that's how you feel when you're on the stage. But that gave me an opportunity to stand in front of people. Even though nobody was looking at me, I felt like every eye was on me. I'd have to wear baggy pants because my kneecaps were just bouncing. And I was just so scared. But I was stepping into something. I was preparing myself for something. And then uh, we, we, for some reason, Pastor Mike asked me and my wife to be youth pastors up here. I don't know what he was thinking. But it <laughs> It ended up okay, but it started a little rough. But we we got up in in front of this massive group of six teenagers, <laughs> homeschooled teenagers. <laughs> it's crazy, because <laughs> there's nothing wrong with homeschool. All right, I I've, I'm I'm for it. But anyway, we we uh, it's funny because Jared and Joel were there, and I used to look at them, and now I'm here and I'm looking at them like this. It's like it's crazy, but get all sentimental again. But we, and, and Elijah and all these guys were in our youth group, and, and it gave me an opportunity to start to, to speak in front of people, even though they weren't listening, even though they were just playing on their phones the whole time. It, it gave us an opportunity, and it gave me a, a, just an ex, ex, experience. But I was able to start walking out that purpose. God put a picture on my heart, and I, I, took, I took action. And I said, I'm going, this is going to happen. I don't know how it's going to happen. It seems impossible, but this will happen. And so I, I started to do stuff. A lot of times we look at, at people and we see years of, of experience behind them. I want to do what they're doing. But you're not willing to do what they've done to get there. This isn't the message, but I think someone needs to hear this. Because we, I do, I've done that. I've looked, I have started this, this church, Grace Life Church in Houston, a year and a half ago. And I had to fight that in the beginning. I want, we're going to come out swinging. We're going to grow. We're going to see all this. And it didn't happen right away. And I started to beat myself up because I'm looking at all these people that have have done amazing things. And I know God wants to do amazing things. So where is it? And then I started to look and and there's one church, uh, in, in Singapore, Joseph Prince's church, uh, New Creation Church, and I, I, I looked it up on Wikipedia, and I looked at the history of it. I don't know why I did this. I just happened to, I just looked it up one day. It had to have been God, but they started in 1984 with 25 people. Joseph Prince wasn't the, the pastor at that time, he was, but he was part of the team. And between 1984 and 1990, it grew to 150 people. In six years, 150 people. And then uh, he took over. And from 1990 to 2000, it grew to 1,000 people. So right then, just, the, I mean, 1,000 people, that's a big church, but it's 1,000 people. It took him 16 years to get to 1,000 people. And then from in 2004, I believe that's when his book, Destined to Rain, came out and it just took off. And I think they have 35,000 people at their church now. So we can look at this big successful ministry and say, wow, I want that. Well, it took them 30 years to get there, right? And you can look at people and you can be envious of what they're doing, what they're experiencing, what God's doing in their life. But are you willing to step out and do the things that they were willing to do to get to where they are today? That's not legalism. That's not works. That's wisdom. You use the grace of God. By the grace of God, I am what I am. He's put the power on the inside of me to step into the areas that I couldn't do on my own. We get this religious mentality, and it sounds real good saying, all of you, God, all of you, God, none of me. Get me out of the way. God's not; He doesn't want all of him and none of you. He wants us. We're a team. Let's work together. I believe it's in Ephesians. I don't have it right in front of me, but it says that we are the fullness of Christ. One translation says we complete Jesus. We complete him. That means he is the head of the church, but a head can't do anything on its own. It needs a body. Jesus can't do what he wants done on this earth without us. Amen. So we should hold ourselves, hold our heads up high, say, man, I am worthy. I am qualified. And it's not about what I've done in my past, all the mistakes I've made, maybe the things that I'm going through today. I'm a mess. But God looks at me with, with, through the lens of righteousness. He's qualified me to fulfill what he's already placed on the inside of me. I just have to trust in that righteousness. We, that's a, this big word that we throw around a lot, but all it means is I'm in complete right standing with God, not because I'm perfect, but because he is. And, uh, uh, this, there's three things that we focus on at our church. I guess you could call it the pillars. I don't, I don't know what you would call it, but there's three things that we, we stay on and it's the, uh, righteousness, your identity in Christ, God's true nature, and the finished work of the cross, when you can understand those three areas, your life will be changed. I promise you. I didn't have to, uh, there is a simul- the thing that pushed me was an understanding of how God sees me. He sees me as righteous. He sees me as holy and without blame. Amen. Holy and without blame. Right there where you sit, God looks at you. Holy and without blame. That's important that we understand this stuff. It's, that he looks at you as blessed. Ephesians 1.3 says that I have been. That's past tense. I have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. I'm not trying to become blessed. I am blessed. Well, I don't feel blessed. My bank account doesn't say I'm blessed. God says I'm blessed. Amen. So as I can say, God, you, you call me blessed. You call me successful. He called Joseph a successful man when he was a slave on the auction block. It didn't look like he was successful, but God called him successful. And because he knew how God saw him, he became the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. If we can just start to renew our minds and see ourselves the way that God sees us, we will step into areas that we never thought was possible. But we have to get rid of this religious mindset. Stop saying, but I sin too much. Like your sin is going to scare off God. God's not afraid of your sin. We run away from God whenever we mess up, but we should run toward him more than ever so he can help us through those problems. People say that grace is a license to sin. You're saying you can just go out and do whatever you want and God doesn't care? He doesn't change how he feels about you? Hold on to your seats. But yeah, that's what I'm saying. But... Okay, you got to follow this up. It does not change how God sees you, but what it does is it changes how you act. Okay, so God calls me righteous even in the middle of my mess, but knowing that, it causes me to start acting righteous. It would be to to say, you need to act righteous so you can attain righteousness. It's like me buying my kids a bicycle and saying, here it is, but you can't have it till you go over here and pretend like you can ride a bike with no bike. There's no tools. There's no nothing. Just act like it. And you look ridiculous. You're riding a bike and you have no bike and it just, you look foolish. But no, if I, I've provided the tools, I've provided a way for you to successfully accomplish this thing. I've given, God has given you righteousness so you can walk in righteousness. You can't do it without him. In fact, the, the Whenever we try, a religious mindset is us building up our righteousness to present to God, saying, here I am. Here's my righteousness. Forget that Isaiah says our righteousness is like filthy rags. Forget all that. I'm just going to do the best I can. And there's, there's some mess in there, but here you go. That's religion. And it's not good enough. But grace is God reaching down to us with his righteousness, saying, here you go. I'm giving you everything you need for life and godliness. Y'all okay? All right. So one of my favorite verses is Romans 5.19. Romans 5.19 says, For as by one man's disobedience... Let's try that again, all right? (laughs) For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. I asked the first service who that one man was, and they said it wrong, so I'm not going to ask y'all. I'm going to say, that one man was... Whoa, y'all are, y'all are better. <laughs> Hopefully no one was in here. Um, Adam's disobedience, many were made sinners. I used to think that my disobedience made me a sinner. I used to think when I sinned, that made me a sinner. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that Adam's sin made me a sinner. Hmm. My performance didn't make me a sinner? No. Adam's, I was born in this world into Adam as a sinner. But there's good news. There's two parts of that verse, right? So also by one man's obedience, who's that? Jesus. Jesus. Many will be made righteous. My sin didn't make me a sinner and my righteous acts didn't make me righteous. I was born as a sinner. I was born again into righteousness. It's not my performance. It's his performance. We have to understand that. But now, knowing that that is true, I can step into a whole new life. A whole new life. He's equipped me to do it. Y'all are okay. Y'all awake. Okay. I hate when preachers do that stuff. But anyway. (laughs) Amen? Can I get a witness? (laughs) So, knowing that you are righteous, you are equipped, you are qualified to fulfill what God has called you to do, now you can do it. You, I think God, Jesus went to the cross for more than us to just live a life in the rat race. Get up, go to work, go home, go to bed. Get up, go to work, go home, go to bed. And just do it, just to earn a paycheck. I think he did, he, he went to the cross for more than that. I know he did. In uh, Luke 5, starting in verse 1, I love this story. It says, So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Jacinaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked, asked him to put it out a little ways from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Really what, what was happening there, the, the fishermen, the way they used to do it, they would go out and fish at night. They'd go out and fish at night so the, the fish couldn't see the nets. And there was two boats, two boats, and one of them would scare the fish and they would swim right into the nets. And that's how they did it. And then they would rest in, they would rest in the daytime. They'd go up, clean up their nets, and go. That was just the normal way of doing things. That's how everybody did it. All the fishermen did it that way. And then Jesus, uh, he's speaking to the multitudes, and he, he needs something. He didn't have a, a fancy microphone like this. He, he needed something. He would go out on the lake, and his, his, the water would help project his voice to the multitudes. So that's the, the, what's going on here. And then it says in verse 4, When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down my net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came And filled both the boats and they began to sink. (laughs) I gotta stop there because we could go on and on. This there's so much in here. There's so much in here. But first, Jesus came in and he said, I want you to do things a little different than you're used to doing it. He came in and disrupted their life. He disrupted the way of doing things, the normal fisherman thing. And i got to ask you, are you willing to let Jesus come in and disrupt the normal way that you do things? We have to ask ourselves these questions, because are we prepared? Not just, yeah, I want to, I really want to, but is your life set up in a way, this isn't works, this is wisdom, okay? Are you set up to say, here I am, Lord. If you tell me to pack up everything and move to Houston, I'm going to do it. Whenever we lived here, in, in, uh, and this isn't something to, to pat me on the back and just say how awesome we are, but we did. We we tried to live a life. We still try to live a life that's that's willing to let Jesus step in and disrupt it. And He says, "Go, we go." That's what we want to do. We want to live that because I know His plans are better than my plans. Amen. So so, and that's not. We say that, but we don't really believe it because whenever we, God's plans are better than my plans, but we, we gotta we build up our own little kingdom here. And we're afraid to step out into that unknown area. So anyway, we, when we lived, in, we lived in Pueblo West for over six years. And we, we, had our, we had a nice little house. We were comfortable. We had just finished our basement. A lot of people from this church came and helped us out. It was awesome. And it was just, we were comfortable. We had an awesome church family. We were, it was, everything was good. Life was good. And I was a student at Karis Bible College in Colorado Springs, and Andrew Womack got up and he was talking about how he had never bought a house until, um, or he didn't, they never bought a house just in case the Lord said, go. They wouldn't have to worry about selling a house. They wouldn't have to deal with all that. They could just pack up and go. And when he said that, that was like the Lord talking to me saying, go sell your house. Okay. And uh, so I went home, and I told Laura, my wife, and she said, okay, which was abnormal. And and so so we we sold our house. It took us three months to to sell our house. And as we were doing that, people would say, well, are you moving? No, we're not moving. We're staying in Pueblo. Why are you selling your house? Where are you going to go? We're going to go rent a a smaller house that costs more. (laughs) People thought we were crazy. But then, about six months later, an opportunity came up. We knew that we were called to Houston already. We just didn't know when it was going to happen. And an opportunity came up to direct Karis Bible College Houston, an extension of the the Bible college we went to in Woodland Park. And and they said, well, when can you leave? You tell me. I'm ready. I didn't have to worry about selling a house or packing everything up. I mean, we couldn't unpack anyway, most of our stuff, because it was... Such a small house, but we uh, uh, it was <laughs> it, it, we said, "I can leave tomorrow even our our the landlord of that house said, "You can break your lease whenever you want. I know that you 're a Going to Bible college, and if the Lord has something different for you, just break your lease. So we could break our lease with no penalties, even. And we went down there, and it just all worked out. But it didn't seem normal at the time. People thought we were crazy. Church people thought we were crazy, and it was just—it didn't make sense. But we said we're going to allow, we're going to live a life to allow Jesus to step in and disrupt the normal way of doing things. And because of that, we've been able to experience so much down there. We're we're impacting lives. Lives. Are being changed by understanding righteousness. Suddenly people feel like they're qualified to receive something from God because God's not holding their sins against them. He, he loves them so much that he's, he's provided a way out of that pain. And like I was saying, people say grace is the license of sin, but I think you're sinning good enough without a license, right? So if you just think about what you think about, you wouldn't think about it anymore. It's just God can't use me because I'm a, a dirty old sinner. That's, It's not true. God, this book right here is full of failures, full of failures who are used mightily by God. Don't raise your hand, but has anyone murdered Christians? Don't raise your hand. (laughs) Has, have you, we'll just stay there. Okay. So you get, you get the point. No, Paul wrote two thirds of the New Testament. This church is preaching a message that he, the message that Paul preached. And, it's, and he was not perfect. He went out of his way. He called Christians a cult. He did everything he could to, to get them to renounce their faith. But he can't use me because I said a bad word. I said something. Uh, I did something wrong. I smoked. I drink. I do all this, and you're just, God can't use me. Are you? Are you out of your mind? <laughs> That's it's. I mean, people don't want to hear it. People want to say, "Ah, oh, there there's work to be done." I'm telling you, when you are resting in God's presence, you will accomplish more than you ever thought you could accomplish. This right here, me standing in front of you, me planning a church, me uh, directing a Bible college, is me resting in Jesus, in Christ. That's rest, Amen. because I know that I can do it. If I was trusting in myself, I couldn't do it. But we have to allow Jesus to step in and and. Disrupt things. And then it goes on to say, when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, verse 4, launch out into the deep, let down your nets for a catch. Verse 5, but Simon answered and said to him, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down my net. He says, let down your nets, plural. Simon says, I'll let down my net, singular. Singular. <laughs> Some of y'all are quick. So <laughs> Jesus wants us to live an abundant life. Amen. He has so much for us, Something that, I love John 10:10 10, 10 and the message translation because it says, "I've come to give you a life that's greater than you could ever dream of." Wow. Greater than you could ever dream of. And so you, you, I want you to have it all, but most of the time we just say, "I'll, I'll give you a little bit. I'll step out. I'll, I'll let down my net. Jesus wants you to lay, let down your nets. Why? Not so it, it can be all about Him and all this stuff, but what happened? They received an abundance. And not only did they receive an abundance, but the people around them received an abundance. Amen. So when you're blessed, it doesn't just bless you, it blesses all the people around you. As this church prospers, everyone connected to this church is going to prosper. We have to re- re- trust in that. we got to say, I'm going to let down my nets. I'm going to step out, and I'm going to I'm gonna, I'm gonna give to this church. This church is changing lives. I'm going to start giving more. I want to be a part of it. As I partner with this church, I'm going to every life that's touch. I'm a part of it. No one asked me to say this. I'm just telling you. When you give to this church, it will not only bless you, it will bless you, but it will bless so much more. You'll you'll receive an abundance, but the people around you will start to experience abundance in their life. When you partner with other ministries, I have a friend in Colorado Springs. I just spoke at their conference yesterday, Carly and Ashley Teradez. I think a lot of y'all know them uh, I, I don't give a lot, but I, I partner with their ministry and everything that they're experiencing, I experience. I feel like I'm a part of it, too. And I live all the way in Houston. Man, when we prosper, we not. it affects the world around us. It starts to say, show the world that a life in Christ can be a good one. Amen. We don't have to be as sick and poor and depressed and and. and all this negative stuff, just like the rest of the world, what good would following God be if you're not living an abundant life? What is the appeal here? But if we can let down our nets, everything we have and say, I, I just want what you want, God. I'm, I'm renewing my mind to who I am and who you call me and I'm gonna step into this area. I'm gonna let down my nets and I'm gonna, I'm gonna be blessed. I'm gonna receive an abundance better than I could have ever provided for myself. We just have to trust God okay. and know that it's not it, the, the thief is out to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came to give us life and life in abundance. Let's go to John ten ten. I use that. I mean, we we often use that verse. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life; and they may have it more abundantly. And we say the thief is the devil. Yeah. The the thief is the devil. And the thief, the devil is a thief, but in context, let's read from verse 7. Then Jesus said to them again, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All whoever came before me are thieves and robbers. All whoever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear him. Who he's talking about in context is the religious Pharisees. The ones who said, you, if for God to love you, you have to do this. For God to bless you, you need to stop doing that. For, for God to heal you, you better act this way. They're telling him to go through this door, this door of religion, this door of rules and guidelines. And Jesus says, religion is the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The religion is straight from the devil. It's straight from the devil. I think it's the number one tool that, that the devil uses to infiltrate the church because this is what happens. People are, they, they get born again. And they're so excited. Some people have this awesome encounter with God, but then they go to church. Not this church, but a church. And, and it's like all this freedom, all this excitement that came with this, this relationship with God, is, it's, it's just squashed. Squashed. Because now all I hear about is how bad I am, how wrong I am, how I need to do better, how I need to give more and serve more and do more for God to bless me. And it's just stealing what God has done. It's literally killing people, literally killing people. But knowing the love that God has for me, what happens? I start to give more. I know that God, I can't outgive God. I know that for God so loved the entire world, not just the people who loved him back, but for God so loved the world that he gave everything. And knowing that that is who God is and that's what's on the inside of me, I don't have to give, I want to give. My natural self is not a giver. (laughs) I earned it, go earn your own. That's how I feel. And, and, but as I have renewed my mind to who God is and how he feels about me, I want to give. I want to I I be blessed to, to be a blessing. I want to prosper so I can help other people prosper. I want that. But not only does God want me to be blessed to be a blessing, he just wants to bless me because I'm his child. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> He wants me to be blessed just because I'm his child. Amen. Because I used to think, you know, I get, I get to give. And there is a, a, yeah, that's part of it. But that would be like if I got those bikes I was telling you about. Actually, for Christmas. I keep talking about bikes because we just bought them for Christmas. We, got, we have three kids, and they each got a bike for Christmas. And if I said, here's your bike. You get to enjoy it. You get to do all this awesome stuff and have fun. Go be kids. And they take it, they go be kids down the street, and they go give it to someone else, and they walk home. And they're wore out, they're tired, they're burnt out. Why'd you go give your bike away, man? I gave that to you because I love you. I'll give you two bikes. How about that? You can give the second bike to someone. That's what abundance is about. It's not, God doesn't just want to meet our needs. We want, he wants to give more than enough. More than enough. And this isn't the selfish thing, and this, people... Get all weird and bent out of shape about this. God loves you like you love your own children. If we could think about that for just a minute. Yeah. If, if God was who most people think God is, I wouldn't be standing up here today. I wouldn't be a Christian. There's no way I would want anything to do with a God that doesn't want to, to the, what's best for his children. But instead, he's going to throw a little cancer on you to, to teach you something. Who wants a part of that? Last week, I, I taught our church on how, how God corrects his children. And some people think that God will correct them by withholding from them until they learn to steward their stuff better. Then he will give to them. Or he, he will correct them by you know, putting them in a tough situation. One time we went to a church is when we moved down there. We were looking for a church, obviously, before we started our own. But we were in, it was like a small Bible study. And the pastor was up there saying, God will um, put sickness on you to teach you something. He will take things from you to teach you something. And I was sitting there and I was like, I don't agree with this. And and I could see right beside me, Laura, literally, there was smoke coming out of her ears. Literally, I'm not exaggerating. It's not figuratively, literally, smoke. And I just put my hand on her leg and I said, There, there, honey, don't say it. Don't do it. What does she do? (sighs) Here it comes. And Laura's mom passed away when Laura was 19. Her mom was 49 years old, she said, of a massive heart attack. She said, so what you're saying is God had to kill my mom so me and my family could learn something from it. What in the world would... God have to teach me in that actually our family's worse off because this lady's here you're telling me that God tells us not to kill but he won't even live up to the bargain he's holding us to a standard that's higher than he'll even hold himself and that was an awkward moment for me and (laughs) we didn't ever go back to that church but he didn't have an answer he didn't have an answer Just change the subject. I don't know. That is not God. God's not behind your pain. He didn't cause the storms in your life. In fact, Jesus rebuked the storm. Why would he rebuke the storm that God created? Why, if God is behind your sickness, are you going to the doctor? (laughs) Why are you trying? If God doesn't want you to prosper, why are you working so hard? just doesn't make sense. We've got to think about what we think about. Religion is out to steal, kill, and destroy. And it is succeeding. And that's what's so awesome about a church like Rocky Mountain Family Church. You can show up, not just mark that church box off, but say, man, God wants me to live a life that's greater than I could ever dream of. Amen. And as I'm living right now, I am living a life that's greater than I could ever dream of. Right now, standing before, I never thought, sitting in that chair, that I I would ever be up here. I get the opportunity to travel and, and speak to just so many people, to plan a church, to direct a Bible college, to just... Share the gospel, the true nature of God, their, your, your identity in Christ, the finished work of the cross. I get to tell people that their sin doesn't hold more power than the cross. And whenever they understand that their sin doesn't hold more power than the blood of Jesus, they're set free from that sin and they can live a life that's greater than they could ever imagine. They could fulfill the purpose, that picture that God has placed on the inside of them. I get to do that. I get to be a part of that. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. I get to do it, but it's all because I've renewed my mind to the truth. It's not, it's not me who does it. It's Christ in me. But it's not just Christ. It's us working together. God wants to use you for something that's greater than you could ever imagine. He wants you to let down your nets. Are you willing to? It makes you uncomfortable. I don't know. It's okay. God will still love you if you never do anything. What happens, though, if you keep reading, I'm in the wrong spot again. Here we go. Back in Luke 5, verse 8, when Simon Peter saw it, this is after they filled all the boats and everything was happening. By the way, I believe that if if he had let down his nets, plural, the results would have been the same. The only difference is he would have benefited more from it. I still believe there's more than enough for him and his friends and everyone involved in that. Everyone would have received that. I can't prove it, but I believe that. Okay? Verse 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. It says in Romans 2-4 that it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It's not following a list of rules. It's not saying do this or else. It's not saying do this or else God won't. It's it's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. You want your life to change? Unravel the goodness of God in your life. Amen. God is better than you could ever imagine. And when you understand that, it will cause you to change. Repentance doesn't mean beg God to forgive you. Repentance means change your mind. Change your mind about who God is. Change your mind about who he says you are. And change your mind to the fact that the cross worked. Amen. <laughs> Verse 9, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. He and all who were with him. A lot of times this passage is used to evangelize people. We need to go out and be fishers of men. We need to go out in the corner and say, hey man, you need to accept Jesus. Let's repeat this magical prayer after me and you're going to go to heaven. <laughs> Don't get offended. I'm going somewhere, okay? So I... It's not about that. I believe that the body of Christ needs the same thing that the world needs. We all need to just get excited about Jesus. Yes. Amen. So the same thing, whenever I'm at church and the best compliment I get is when people text me and say, on the way home, my wife was driving and I was in the passenger seat. We're going through all the scriptures that you talked about. It was right there in front of us the whole time. I never saw it. God is so good. God is so good, and they get excited about the gospel, and it gets them in here. It gets them to step out. It gets them to let down their nets, because when you step out on that water and you start to sink, Jesus is right there to pick you back up. A lot of times we look at that passage when Peter stepped out on the water, and he starts to sink, and how we think Jesus is going to react, and he's going to say, I told you to look at me. Good luck, buddy. And he walks away. But that's not what it says. It says he reaches down and he picks them back up on the water. When you are trusting in Jesus and and his righteousness on the inside of you, you you might sink, but he's right there to pick you back up. You can't fail. You're not going to fail. Sometimes you win. Sometimes you learn. But you'll never fail when you're following Jesus. You just won't. Man, I I didn't know Anthony all that well, but I saw him dressed up like an old lady in the announcements. And... um, (laughs) I didn't know him that well, but I think that's different than how you used to be. And uh, and it's it's just, you will do things that you never thought were possible. It's crazy. (laughs) But if we can just trust God, let down our nets, receive in abundance, the world will see it. That's the best form of evangelism. Live your life as an advertisement for the kingdom. Let the world see what God can do in your life, and they'll want what you have. Right now, the body of Christ is not a very good advertisement. Not this church, but in, in general, you know what I'm saying. That we're, we're, I said this, but we're just as sick and poor and broke. The divorce rate is just as high as the rest of the world. What is the appeal? Oh, but then if you accept Jesus, he's going to give you cancer. Yay! What in the world if I would I don't understand it. I heard a song recently and it was awful. Awful. And it was just though you slay me, I will praise you. And they take this stuff out of Job that's completely out of context and say, you know, no matter what you do to me, I'm still going to praise you. Why? Yeah. That's not God. In fact, at the end of Job, it says God says, "Why are you talking about things you don't even know?" We, we pluck things out of context, and, and we just beat people upside the head with them. We say, this is God. And when you take the text out of context, you're just left with a con, right? So if we can just quit being conned and just step out on the water, let down your nets, and experience a life that's greater than you could ever dream of. If I can do it, everyone in this room can do it. I'm not qualified, I'm not qualified. I have issues. I have problems. I go through things. But the difference is I know God. I know God and whenever I fail, I don't fear him in this, not in the reverence kind of way. I'm not afraid of God, but perfect love casts out fear. That's the easy way. You want to know if what you believe about God is accurate? Are you afraid of God? Not fearful, not fearing God in that reverence way, but are you afraid of what God might do if you step out of line, then you don't know God because perfect love casts out fear. That's real easy. Y'all okay? Man, I encourage you. Just, just, I believe right now that people are getting a picture on the inside of them in this room right now of something that's greater than they could have ever dreamed of in their life. I believe it. Right now, people are getting a picture of what God has called them to, and it might seem like it's not possible for you right now, and maybe it's not, but start taking the steps and knowing that as you take those steps, you're not going to fail. God is right there with you. He's equipped you, and even when you stumble, a righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up. Brush yourself off and keep moving forward. That's what it's about. I don't deserve what's happened to me, but thank God for Jesus.